dark, quiet, a resting town, once bustling, now still, an innkeeper's stable, once calm, now astir, the tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Love has come. Bound in swaddling clothes, nestled inside this rugged manger, lies a human who one day will shake the earth to demonstrate the boundless love of the Creator. Secured to a plank atop a hill, Jesus would become the gift we needed most, yet could never earn. This Son is the exact expression of the Father's love, the radiance of His glory, the embodiment of His light. Hope, joy, peace, and love emanate from Him like rays, beaming forth and resting within human hearts. He is our hope, the fulfillment of promises, our assurance in His trustworthy nature. He is our joy, an unchanging bright light, the object of our affections, even in the darkest of circumstances. He is our peace, a present God, bringing us stillness, calm, and confidence. He is our love, the ultimate display of the Father's heart, paying the price for our betrayal. Because of the sacrifice Jesus would make, we carry His perfect light out into the world. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, May our hearts kneel at His manger. Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift Himself, Jesus. Just as the light of His birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, His light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world. Good evening, everyone. You're referencing these. That's why you're laughing. Okay, so there's a reason why these are up. I promise, I promise. And in fact... um, I'll get to it by talking about something completely different, uh, which is, has anybody ever heard, read, um, or seen Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, uh, where there is the story known as the gift of the Magi? Are you guys familiar with that? Maybe you read it in like middle school or whatever. Okay, cool. All right. So, so it's a story of gifts. And here's something about gifts that I think are so beautiful. A gift at its, at its core, when it's a good gift given between two people who genuinely love one another, it's a gift that expresses both love 
and knowing that person well, right? Like that's fair. Okay, so, um, so when you have the opportunity to give somebody you love or care for a gift, it allows you to demonstrate to them, I know you, I know who you are, I see you, and I also care deeply for you. And the same way, when you receive a gift from somebody who knows you and loves you, it allows you to feel known, to feel loved. Now, in the story, The Gift of the Magi, we see this on display. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a story where this couple, I'm going to not be referencing to the Mickey and Minnie version. I'm going to talk about the original version um, that's like 100 years old. So this is a story of a married couple who love each other deeply, but they live in poverty. So each of them have a treasured possession that they have. The wife, uh, it's her beautiful hair. And for the husband, it's this pocket watch that he has. And both of them love these cherished objects. Uh, and they, and the spouse knows this about that other person. So the wife, you discover, has, has her hair cut off and sold so that she can take that money that she gets from selling her hair to go buy a beautiful band for her husband's pocket watch. And you don't, and the husband doesn't discover this until the end of the story when the husband, well, he sold the pocket watch to buy her beautiful combs for her beautiful hair. And in that moment, in that moment, they don't look at each other like they're both fools. They look at each other with deep love and affection and tenderness because in that moment, they both know what was sacrificed. In that moment, they both feel absolutely known and absolutely loved. I love that story. It's so good. Watch Once Upon a Christmas um, with Mickey uh, tonight on Disney Plus and you'll get the gist of it, okay? So counter that though with Allie and I's first Christmas. Now, not like a total counter, but kind of counter. We were dating. We had been dating for about a month and a half, okay? So like we were really fresh into that dating game and it was Christmas. So both of us lived with a, um, uh, with a bunch of individuals in our respective homes. And so uh, we decided to meet up at Coronado Springs Resort in the lobby on Christmas morning to exchange gifts to one another so that we wouldn't have all the roommates all around. Uh, so we meet there. And in that moment, I walk into the lobby and what do I see? But this giant blue stitch pillow pet right there. I know, I know, it's beautiful. And then Allie, what I just, and but then Allie opens up her present. Inside her present is an original OG teddy bear. I mean, like this is the Teddy Roosevelt style teddy bear, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And it's in a onesie. I mean, how cool is that? Like, that's really neat. It has Allie's name on it and stuff. I thought it was a really good gift. Now, here's the thing. Allie likes things that are pretty practical and comfortable and like really cozy. This does, the teddy bear is many things, but the original teddy bear, if you were to try to give this one a hug, it is anything but cozy. It is like a brick, okay? Uh, And it's not the most practical thing ever in existence, especially since she was about to move to Shanghai, China and only had two packs to take with her. And this was gonna occupy a, a sizable amount of impracticality, right? Now, for me, I also love practical gifts, and this also does not fit the definition of practical. We are super grateful to one another for the care and affection that we were each demonstrating in said gifts, Um, but it became quickly apparent that we didn't really know each other super well. We've gotten a little bit better in the gift department over the last five years, so that's, that's pretty great. 
But this goes to the point that we all desire to feel known and loved. Uh, This is why every wonderfully cheesy Christmas movie kind of goes on that theme, right? I mean, we got your, you got your Christmas prince, a prince for Christmas, a castle for for Christmas, the Christmas princess switch. You got the Christmas in the holiday and for the classics, the dog walkers Christmas one, two, and I think three. Like there are so many of these and they're all, I mean, they're all the exact same plot, just in like different like, yeah, okay. One's like in a, in a rural environment. One's in a rural environment in Scotland. Like it's all basically the same thing. All of it though, going to this, this des- desire that we have as humans and not even just from a romantic standpoint, but just in every respect, we desire to be known and loved by those around us. Now, here's a question. This is the question we're wrestling with tonight. Can love itself be a genuine gift? You see, in our world, while we might, while all those movies might suggest that love is a gift, in reality, if you're actually reading between the lines, it's in all of those, it's that love is actually earned. You get good, you get better, and then you will be loved. You need to show yourself to be good, to be likable, to be fun, to be friendly, and then you are loved. I'll love you if you earn it. I'll get to know you if you seem worth my while. And this isn't just romantically, it's in friendships and families and in our workplaces, right? So that is the way that our world seems to appear to affect love in our realities. So then we think of God and we can come to two, what I would call grave misconceptions regarding the concept of God's love. And probably for many of us, we are tempted to one of these two camps. On the one hand, we might think of God and his love is kind of boring. Like, yeah, I, I, I've heard that before. I will go ahead and even say I believe it. God loves me, so what does it really matter? Or on the other end, or on the other end, he will only love me when I get my act together. He'll only love me when I prove myself to be worthy of his love. He'll only love me when I work harder and harder and harder because that's the way the other relationships in my life work. Now, either of these makes love much less than a gift. If God's love is boring, then it brings to light that we truly don't feel known by God. And then God's love kind of becomes like the stiff teddy bear. Something you get and then you're like, not very practical. So I'm gonna go ahead and leave that here when I travel across the world, right? It's not something that has a lot of knowing to it. Now, if God's love is earned, then that, makes it much less than a gift altogether because you don't earn gifts, right? Gifts are given. It's not transactional. So can love itself be a genuine gift? So tonight we lit our fourth candle for Advent, the candle of love. And we're going to be journeying tonight into the book of 1 John chapter 4. If you happen to be using one of the Mosaic Bibles, beautiful blues. We are on page 1,125. If you are using your own Bible or device, uh, I'm reading out the English standard version. It kind of makes it just easier to follow along. So this passage is going to bring a perspective to Christmas and the gift of love that you and I so desperately need to hold on to. 
the context of this, of this book is that the Apostle John, and where he's at right now, the Apostle John, who is one of Jesus' closest followers um, while Jesus was here on the earth, is now writing as kind of an elder in the church. He is one of, he has been with Jesus. He has seen life. He has done it all. And at this point, he is writing to this church. He is encouraging them, exhorting them on what it means to truly care and love one another. Because let's face it, humans are difficult to love. So he gives this staggering statement though. He doesn't start by talking about what they earn. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse seven into verse eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So what he's getting at is there's a direct correlation between our relationship with God and the way we treat others in our lives. It's as if God's love is magnetic. Uh, when you think of things that are magnetic, right? There's two effects that two magnets can have. They can either be drawn together or they're repulsed apart. And, the, and God's love is very magnetic in both senses. We can get a scent of God's love and just be repelled by it want to walk away from it. That's kind of the story of humanity. And then though, there is, a, there is God's love that draws us near to him to the point where we are so attached to him that his defining characteristics become our defining characteristics. Now, this comes to a head at a point at the last, at the last phrase in verse eight, because God is love. God is is love. You might've heard that phrase before, but isn't that crazy? Now, how can God be love? Well, this is because God is Trinity. You might've heard that theological statement along your path, but it's the idea that God is the Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, one in three. And you may have heard that concept before, but never truly understood it. But here's why this is so vitally relevant when we're on the topic of God's love and the fact that he is by his very nature, love. There's an author, uh, his name's Michael Reeves. He is really, really smart, a lot smarter than me. And he wrote this book called Delighting in the Trinity. That's really helpful. And in it, he talks about the concept of every other major world religion. It could be devised into two categories, either believing that God is a single person God or believing in a multitude of gods uh, vying for power. So kind of maybe the Islamic view of God, that God is one, or to believe in a pantheon of God, whether it's Greek and Roman mythology or um, into other Eastern religions. Religions. In either way, either way, it breeds guaranteed self-centeredness, making humanity not children of love, but servants taking care of a need. And the reason for that is because either there is a constant power struggle between all the gods competing. So think of like Zeus and Hades and Hercules, right? Or it's an, in, a God who has existed by himself and therefore has never actually experienced a genuine love until the moment of creation. So you can't be loving if you don't have anything to love. Does that make sense? You can't love if you don't have an object to love. And if there ever was a single solitary being, well, then who did he love except for himself? But then Michael Reeves writes in his book, everything changes. 
It says everything changes when it comes to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, but who has been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son and the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this God at all. It is at the root of who he is. So the concept that God is love is in the fact that God has always been in relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Think of God the Father. He is by his very nature life-giving. He is a father, father, son. One, one has to wonder if a barren God who is not a father is capable of giving life and so birthing a creation. But one can have no such doubts with the father for eternity. He has been fruitful, potent, vitalizing. For such a God and only for such a God, it seems very natural and entirely unsurprising that he should bring about more life and so create. In other words, God didn't create humanity because he needed us because he was self-sufficient in and of himself and who he is. He created us because he wanted us. He didn't create us to be robots. He created us as a father creating children. Now this is changes everything because God created humanity as an overflow of his love, not because he needed us, but because he wanted us. So he didn't Create us like robots who were created and programmed to reciprocate love. He created us as a father, not forced to love, but able to choose to love or to not love. It's in his very essence. And this is where the fall of humanity comes in, where we desire to choose our own path. We choose our own loves. We are repulsed by his love. We hide from the voice of our father who loved us so much when he created us. Now, here's where this gets good though. Verse nine, in this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, when we understand who God is, that he is love, when we understand where humanity is on our own accord, which is fallen far away from him and his love, then this statement becomes insanity. Yet this is the beauty of Christmas. The 2,000 years ago, the love of God broke into our story. The 2,000 years ago, in the dark of night, the light of the world broke through. It's like what, what uh, John is answering here is how can we know that God really is love? And that's what he answers. He says, how do we know this? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How do we know his love? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him that we might live through him. See, this is only good news when we realize how desperate our position was apart from him. When we realize that apart from him, we are dead. But with him, we can have life through him. Apart from him, we didn't know genuine love. But with him, we can know actual love. Without him, we didn't know hope or joy or peace. But in him, those things become not just a distant reality, but a tangible one, one that we could feel. God with flesh on. And if we truly begin to comprehend this, then what we realize is that God's love is so much better than an oversized pillow pet. You know, like, like God's love is that good. And guys, I don't feel that all the time. I don't know that all the time. 
I might intellectually assent to that, but my affections aren't being stirred to that. But I want them to, because, because this is how we know God loves us, because Jesus came. This is how we know God's care, because he went to the furthest extent to bring us home. That's, that's a good dad. Now, I'd imagine in a room of this size that there, there are different relationships that we have had with, uh, with, uh, our, with our human father. Some, was di- some were distant, some left. Some were wonderful, awesome, and godly. Some were somewhere in between. The best that your earthly father ever was, if he was good at all, is a shadow of how good our heavenly father is. The brokenness and the worst that your, your earthly dad ever demonstrated to you that is the antithesis of all that is good, right, and holy in God our Father. And if we truly comprehend this, this is good, good gift. But then is this earned love? Well, you see in verse 10, we get to answer the answer of that question. Is this a real gift? Or is this kind of like we're being hoodwinked? That God's like, yeah, absolutely, come, it's all free. And then he's like, and here's the service charge. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, this word that's used here for love, you, you might, if you've been around the church world very much, you might have heard the word agape before. It's the Greek word that is used here for love. And we usually explain it as unconditional love, and it is absolutely that. But sometimes even that can sound a little bit far off and distant from us. So whenever I'm getting in one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, absolutely, I believe that, and I need to really believe it in my heart, I typically turn to the Jesus Storybook Bible when I'm reading it to Asher at night, and, and I love the way they talk about the agape love of God the Father. Here's how, here's how it's written in there. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, for children yearning for their home. This is the father's love for his kids. It doesn't stop. It doesn't give up. It can't be broken. It's always and forever. And guess what? It's not contingent on you. You're not good enough to earn God's love. Neither am I. That's really good news. Because it's not that we loved God. See, we don't run after God. We don't pursue him. We forget him. We run away from him. We are naturally repulsed by the magnetic effect of his love and desires for us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Let that be news of freedom to you tonight. The relationship of love with our father, it's not two-sided. It's it's absolutely one-sided, but I think what we're tempted to think is that with God, the one-sided transaction is us going after him, us earning his favor, us currying his favor, us getting his attention. That's not the father. Instead, it's one way, but it's his love pursuing us, him sending his son to step off the throne of eternity to come into our reality. Have you thought about that this Christmas season? Have you thought about that? That I, the, the, just that, would you do that? Would you do that? I mean, think about it. If you were Jesus, 
you don't have to experience any of the brokenness of this world, would you willingly enter into it? I wouldn't. Like, that sounds insane. If, if I could offer you a one-way ticket to where things are perfect all the time and it's real life still, we'd probably take it. But God, he didn't wait for us to pursue heaven. He brought heaven down to us in the form of Jesus. He sent Jesus, the light of the world, into our world as a baby to be the beacon of hope, joy, peace, and love. And just a few short decades later, he is going, Jesus is going to be sent on the ultimate task of love on the cross, becoming where it says here, the propitiation for our sins. If you don't use the word propitiation on a daily basis and it makes your head scratch a little bit, that's okay. Uh, I, was, I researched it a little bit to know exactly what it means in the English language. And it simply means to make right what has been made wrong. No spoilers, but Peter Parker in essentially everything he ever does in the comic books, in a movie, in a TV show, he's constantly mucking things up. He messes things up. He makes things wrong. And then he has to go and make things right. Always have to sneak in a Marvel reference. But like, he, like, that's what we're used to, right? In our world, when you make things wrong, don't you kind of feel like you should kind of go and make it right now? I mean, hopefully in like relationships, we are doing that, right? We're not like, oh, I hope somebody else fixes this one for me. Like, no, hopefully you go to that person and you go try to make right what was wrong. But you see, we aren't our own propitiation. We don't make right what has been made wrong. But Jesus hanging on the cross, bearing our brokenness, our sin, our blemish on himself, the unblemished lamb of God, He took it all so that we could know love. He took it all. This is what Jesus did for us. Not that we made right what humanity has wronged, but that he made right what humanity has wronged. This is the point to which the father would go to display his love for us humans, his his rebellious kids, pursuing your heart by sending his own son to die in our place. Love indeed can be a gift. The love of Jesus for you is the truest gift that has ever been given. Tomorrow morning on Christmas morning, I hope you guys are all getting wonderful presents from whoever is giving you presents. And at its best, at its best, those presents are but a glimmer, a shadow, a mere image of the greatest gift that's ever been given. Love can be a gift. The love of Jesus for you is the truest gift that has ever been given. Jesus, the ultimate friend, knows you most. And Jesus, the king of the cosmos, savior of the world, loves you most. So do you feel unlovable? Do you feel unknown or unloved? You are more loved than you could possibly imagine. God the Father went to the furthest extent to display it on the cross. He did it when he sent his son to be birthed into a manger in obscurity. He did it as a true gift without cost so that you could live in life, light, and freedom and be a part of his work transforming the world, bringing heaven to earth. And it affects even the way we interact with others. John continues, and we'll finish here tonight. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, then what should we do? We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is 
perfected in us. When we know the one who loves us, when we understand the depths of his love, our only true response is to continue that love to those around us. Not just those who are easy, those who are the easiest to get along with, not just those who earn our affections and our love. Being a living demonstration of his love to whoever we might find difficult. And in doing so, becoming proof of God's love for them, just as Jesus has been the proof of God's love to us. Tonight's Christmas Eve. And it affords us the opportunity to reflect, to pause in the middle of the craziness of the Christmas season, to reflect on the greatest gift, the gift of love, Jesus himself, who has pursued you completely and wholly. But here's the cool opportunity invitation that is out for all of us to become a fountain of his love. Not just an endless bowl that we just continue to receive it, but that as we are receiving that love, it would overflow from us and just pour over onto those around us. So I would love for you to reflect, asking God this question, God, who is someone that you are calling me to love? Who is someone you are calling me? God might have already given you that person in your mind right now. Who is that person God is calling you to care for, to love, to reach out to? Receive love and allow it to overflow to them. The original short story, The Gift of the Magi, ends with a reflection of the gifts of sacrificial love that each, each uh, spouse gave to the other. And I love the way that it ends like this. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise. Each sold the most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a last word to the wise of these days. Of all the give, of all who give gifts, these two are the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as these are the most wise. Everywhere, they are the wise ones. They are the magi. This is the gift of sacrificial love. Jesus gives the ultimate wise gift. It would be foolish if it weren't so wise and brilliant and beautiful. And we have the opportunity to receive that love, to demonstrate it to those around us, to take that gift and to pass it on. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. And as we do, I'd love for us to just take a moment and simply reflect on this gift. Are your affections stirred towards God's love? Are you tempted to believe it's boring, a useless gift? Are you tempted to believe that you have to earn it? Let's take that time for a moment. And then I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll continue on in our gathering. Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus, what he has done and who he is. The concept that we have a genuine gift that is really as good as advertised. In fact, it's better than we know. So I pray for each and every one of us here, whether we've been journeying with Jesus for decades or we, we don't know where we stand with him right now. 
that you would reveal your love, the beauty of the gospel to us, and that in the beauty of the gospel, we discover a God who is not distant, who is not simply a judge standing off in a corner waiting to simply say, you're not guilty now, but you better act better next time. But that we have a good father that wraps us into his arms and desires good for us that desires for us to live in a way that's in in light of his love. Lord, we need that love more than we know. So we thank you for that love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So now we're gonna move to our candlelight portion of our gathering. And so what's gonna happen is um, in a few moments, uh, Billy and Jennifer are gonna walk around and start uh, getting some of you guys uh, uh, lit on uh, your candles. And as they do, feel free to uh, pass that light on to somebody else. That'll make their job easier. And it's also like a pretty cool significance of the reality that we are not called to just receive, but to pass on the beauty of the light of the world in Jesus. So that's our hope tonight, that we would rest in that love the one who is the light of the world.
from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace Jesus Lord at thy birth Jesus Lord at thy Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one who brings life, light, and freedom. Not me, not any other human, not any organization or institution, but Jesus alone on whom builds a kingdom and a government of peace, on whom is perfect light. So now we'll extinguish our light in just a moment. And we will do so with the realization that when we extinguish this light, while these are pretty and it looks so neat when we look around, the true light doesn't extinguish. It's the spirit of God moving inside the hearts of those who make up the family of God, the church. And it's that light that we take into the middle of a broken and fallen world. So let's blow out our candles and remember that. And even when things look most dark, we can remember who is the true light of the world. So I'm gonna go ahead and invite you to go ahead and sit for just a moment. We're gonna sing one more song, but before we do, I want to call us to some realities that we have the opportunity to enter into, to remember this in the context of the community. We mentioned this last week uh, on Sunday, but we have an incredible family, the Mapenzies, Elizabeth and Trezor. They are so cool and beautiful. Like, look at that. Look at that family photo. So cute. Like, there's some awes that are worthy for that one, right? So they serve with YOM in Malawi, and they are one of our global partners, and they are in the midst of some wonderful, wonderful gospel work, seeing the gospel made known through discipleship and utilizing a wonderful farm uh, that is going to revolutionize in their locality uh, the farming practices for more sustainable farming practices uh, for them in their local region and to expand throughout Malawi. 
It's gonna be a great opportunity, not just for them, but for us as their gospel partners, as their global partners. And so for that, each year we do a special offering where 100% of the offering just goes to our global partner. And so tonight we are going to have the opportunity to do that after this gathering. And you can do this in one of two ways. Physically, we have the offering box that's straight behind. And there's like some like... Mm, tree bark or something, or bark, branch. Yeah, yeah like it's pretty. Um, so back there, there's the giving box. Feel free to put any checks or uh, cash into that. And 100% of that is going to go to the Mapenzies for their phase two as they continue to work on their farm and the discipleship program that this farm will, uh, will provide as well. We also have an opportunity to do this online because let's, let's get real. Most of us know more about QR codes than we do about a checkbook. So uh, you can scan this QR code and make that, that gift uh, donation to their farm. Remembering that what we have the opportunity to do is to partner together as the light of the world is spreading around the world. We are a part of a, the greatest global family that the world has ever known in the church. It's not perfect, but it is beautiful. And it is hope. So this is the opportunity that we have. Another opportunity I want to make you aware of for us as a community is uh, in, uh, in just two short days, it will be the next Sunday. Uh, we are not going to be having a gathering like this that, um, on Sunday uh, to alleviate both for our volunteers with all the incredible work they did um, to serve this evening uh, and then also allow us a space to come together, invite others in for just a time of just community. We're going to have a Christmas movie night here in that space. Um, so you are invited and invited to invite others into this space, 702 for a Christmas movie. Um, and the movie, I believe, is still TBD. So come and see what it is. Uh, I'm still angling for some Muppets Christmas Carol, you know. Um, I, who gets mad about Muppets Christmas Carol? Hopefully no one. Uh, anyway, so that is an opportunity for community as well. Now we're going to, we're going to engage in one last song, and it's one you're probably, probably familiar with. It's Joy to the World. And as we, as we sing this song together, uh, I, I had something else I was going to say, but then I heard it better a lot yesterday when I was uh, watching with Allie and Asher. I was watching the Chosen Christmas special for this year. So good. If you haven't watched it yet, it's on YouTube. It's under the live stream. Watch it. It's worth your time. And, and they say this, this statement about this song, Joy to the World, that it's joy to the world, that we don't just receive this joy, but we carry it to the world around us. That we don't just receive light, we spread light. We don't just receive hope or joy or love or peace. We carry it forward. And so as we sing this song, let this be both a reminder of the genuine joy that we have in the gospel, but let it also be a spark for us to go into our workplaces, with our, to our families, into our neighborhoods, wherever God calls us to go be joy and carry joy to the world. Would you stand with me and sing, enjoy a celebration, joy to the world.